Am I on? There we go. All right. So happy new year, everyone. Um, I know I haven't uh, told you a joke in a while, so I was looking for one that tells my kind of humor, and I, I actually found a few of them, so um, you're going to have to endure this. What kind of man was Boaz before he married Ruth? Ruthless. What, what do they call pastors in Germany? German shepherds. <laughs> Who's the greatest financier in the Bible? Noah. He was floating his stock while everyone else was in liquidation. <laughs> Who was the greatest female financier in the Bible? Pharaoh's daughter. She was down to the bank of the Nile and drew out a little profit. <laughs> Who was the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He brought the house down. Which servant of God was the most flagrant lawbreaker in the Bible? Moses. He broke all the Ten Commandments at once. Which area of Palestine was especially wealthy? The area around Jordan. The banks were always overflowing. Who's the greatest babysitter mentioned in the Bible? David. He rocked Goliath into a very deep sleep. Which Bible character has no parents? Joshua, son of Nun. Why didn't they play cards on the ark? Because Noah was standing on the deck. And the one, and the, the one that I was looking for, uh, did you know it's a sin for a woman to make coffee? Yep, it's in the Bible. It says Hebrews. So my poor family has to put up with that kind of stuff all the time. So, so Dennis already prayed, so I'd like to just, um, because we started late, just uh, tell you what I want to do. I want to tell you basically three things, and with all respect to Ed and the Southern Baptists, I think God had the thing of three before the Southern Baptists did. Um, but my number, my favorite number is three, and... So I want to tell you about three promises that God has given to me. Uh, last year, or last week, I wasn't here and didn't get to hear your God stories, but I want to tell you mine. And the first one is about the three promises that God has given me over the last three years. Uh, the second is going to be two revelations. Actually, it's just one revelation that God gave me twice, and I've already announced it once when I preached. And the last one is one truth that I've also already announced uh, in one of the sermons, but a truth that could set us free, and I hope does set us free. Uh, it's the new year. It's time to reflect, reflect where we've been, uh, to see where we're at, and where do we want to go, and what has, what has prevented us from going where we want to go. I think we all have times when we reflect over what we've done that we feel badly, that we haven't lived up to what we would expect, or done what we would have liked to have done or done things that we shouldn't have done. Certainly like Paul, he said, the things I don't want to do, I do. The things I do want to do, those are the things I don't do. I think we've all had that experience. So it might be a good time to reflect on that. Um, I've given you some sheets here. I'm not going to go over it all, but these scriptures are really good. It might be something that you meditate on. And just as a side note, um, I had a problem getting these out this morning. I was went downstairs to copy them, and my copier didn't work, so I had to go over to my office and use the copier. Uh, so the technical difficulties continue when I preach for some reason, but um, God's, 
bigger than Satan. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, right? So the first promise was given in 08. Um, and what I mean when I say given is I've asked God over the last three year, three years is, would you give me a scripture, give me a word that's from you, that's in your word, that's personal for me so that I can meditate on it, so that I can learn something that you want me to learn? And I would challenge you to do that at the beginning of this year. Ask God for a scripture. Uh, when, when I first came here, we read through the whole Bible, and, and I did that, uh, and I found that very valuable. But it's also very valuable to take one thing, maybe one thing that you really need. Joyce Meyer, I heard her say that she meditated and studied and read about God's love for her for a whole year because she really needed it because her upbringing was awful, and she needed that to transform her. So consider that as, as I share with you the ones that God has given me. So in 08, uh, at the place where it says God forgives the repentant, uh, this is from the New Living Translation, uh, Isaiah 57. It says, the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, the holy one says this, I live in that high and holy place with whose spirits are contrite and humble. I refresh the humble and give new courage to those with repentant hearts. For I will not fight against you forever. I will not always show my anger. If I did, all people would pass away, all souls, all the souls I have made. I was angry and punished these greedy people. I withdrew myself from them, but then they went right on sinning. I have seen what they do, but I will heal them anyway. I will lead them and comfort those who mourn. Then words of praise will be on their lips. May they have peace both near and far, for I will heal them, says the Lord. Now, underneath is a paraphrase, and I've included that in each of these three. And you might be interested in on it. The reference uh, for where this comes from is on the back. It's, it's the Complete Personalized Promise Bible by James Riddle. It's every promise in the Bible uh, written out. And then underneath it is a paraphrase similar to the one that we're going to read. And it not only includes the promise that was inherent in the scripture that we just heard, but it includes a number of other uh, scriptures as well, as you see at the bottom, Psalm 27, Titus 3, Proverbs 4, Hebrews 4, and James. And I'd like us all to read this together uh, because there's something about the spoken word. Uh, Jesus said, say to this mountain, be uprooted and be it cast into the sea, and it will be done according to what you say and believe. So why don't we read this together and, and read it as though it were for you, because I'm sure that it is for us in some way. I have been revived, made alive in the Spirit, and regenerated as a brand new creation, with God himself living in my heart. God has declared to me that his anger has been removed, all of my sins and willful ways have been put behind me, and I can now enter his presence fearlessly, without the slightest sense of guilt for what I have done. I am now under the gentle care of my heavenly Father. He heals, guides, and comforts me in my way. He has replaced my sorrow with shouts of praise. He has decreed that I am to live securely in perfect peace health, and safety. 
Healing is mine, and that is God's final word on it. So I was very comforted when I first read that and was anticipating, you know, healing uh, for a number of things. And ironically, that's when my headaches began. (laughs) God has a sense of humor. The, the second one is uh, from Matthew. It's a favorite one of all of ours, and, and this is my favorite translation of it. Jesus resumed talking to the people, but now tenderly. The Father has given me all these things to do and say. This is a unique father-son operation coming out of the father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does. But I'm not keeping it to myself. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So let's read the promise paraphrase together. I am born to fully know and accurately understand the things of God. Jesus, my Lord and my brother, has given me a thorough revelation of our Father's being. I cast all of the heavy burdens of my life upon Jesus. They are now upon his shoulders, and I am set free. All that has weighed me down is now his to bear. I have taken his yoke upon me and have made him the center of all of my learning. I find comfort in his gentleness and simplicity. In him I have found rest, relief, and refreshment for my soul. The yoke that I have been given is easy to bear, it is to, to abundance. Interestingly enough, after I got this promise, the burden got heavier than ever. Um, the third one is from First John. All who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they live in God. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in him. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we are like Christ here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of judgment, and this shows that his perfect love has not his love has not been perfected in us so let's read this read this last paraphrase together i acknowledge that jesus is the son of god therefore god lives in me and i in him i both know and rely upon the love that god has for me god is love as i live in god i live in love and god lives in me God's love is made complete in me so that I will have confidence in the day of judgment. As he is, so I am in this world. He is my example in my life. I purpose with all of my heart to be like him in every way possible. 
Therefore, I will allow no fear, terror, worry, or anxiety to enter my life for any reason whatsoever, for there is no fear in love. The perfect love that is within me drives out fear, because in every case, fear has to do with punishment or torment of one kind or another. I do not need to fear the punishment of the curse of the law of Moses, judgment for my sins, or eternal punishment in hell, for I have been redeemed. God is on my side in any and every circumstance. He is always for me and never against me. I will greet death with joy when my days are complete. It will be the homecoming that I have longed for. So what do I have to fear? As I am in God and made perfect in his love, fear becomes absolutely ridiculous to me. And interestingly enough, after I got that promise, my anxiety and tension reached its peak. So what's up with that? Why is it that we get these wonderful promises, these wonderful um, words from God that we know are true? I mean, we know these words. These aren't new scriptures to us here. We know that they're true. Why is it that we have a hard time communicating it to our heart as we've been talking about? I mean, it's, it's a struggle. Now, this is a particular time of year that uh, a lot of men like. It's the time when you watch college football games. Uh, UConn didn't do too well last night, and, you know, we're, we're working up to the Super Bowl, and we like a good fight, right? We like a good fight between teams or, or between two combatants. Uh, there's something about it that's invigorating, that's life-giving, uh, Jeff likes to play hockey and bang it up still, you know? And so it's, it's something that's ingrained with us, and we can get excited for that. Why don't we get excited about the fight of our lives? We're, we're in the fight of our lives. The devil is real. He is alive. He's not very well, but he's alive. He knows where he's going. I was telling... John Russo, as he told me the technical stuff was taken care of, he knows where he's going. He knows he's going to spend the rest of eternity in the lake of fire. Do you think he's happy about that? Misery loves company. He wants to drag us there with him. And if he can't drag us there with him, he at least wants to make us miserable because he hates God and he knows if he makes his kids miserable that he's going to hurt God. That's, that's reality. That's the biggest fight of our life. If we get excited about a football game, don't you think we should get excited about that? Don't you think we should train for that, be prepared for that, be sober and alert because our opponent, the devil, prowls like a, pour, a, a roaring lion looking for someone to devour? Resist him solid in our faith, realizing that the brotherhood of believers undergoes the same sufferings throughout the world. We all go through it. So, again, we're at this new year time, and this is a time to reflect on where we've been, maybe with regard to that fight. How have you been doing in that fight? And, and if you haven't been doing very well, or if you've had some trouble, then what is it that is troublesome? So I think we have to, 
we have to not underestimate the enemy. We have to know our opponent and never underestimate him. So what's he going to do? And this brings me to the last, uh, well, not, I'm sorry, not to the last. I had two revelations, one revelation two times, April 15th and December 15th. And it was very clear that God told me this in my heart. He told me three things. He said, forgive yourself, grieve your losses, and love the one you're with. And I knew it like you know anything, you know? I didn't hear it audibly, but I knew it in my heart that God had spoken that to me. And on December 15th, he said the same thing again to me. So I thought, well, I I must need to hear it again. And I think we all need to hear it. But isn't that the hardest thing to do is to forgive ourselves? For me, it is. I'm the hardest one to forgive. I'm very aware of my sin. I'm very aware of my flaws. I'm very aware of how how far I fall short. And as if I didn't remember it enough, the accuser stands before the Father night and day accusing us. Every time we make a mistake, ah, see you did that? You call yourself a Christian and you do this? So we need to forgive ourselves. We need to grieve our losses. You know, this country does not grieve. In Israel, at least you get 30 days. We get three, right? We don't do grief. And I'm not just talking about death, but grief of things. I mean, we've, we've lost, a lot of us have lost money in, you know, in our investments. A lot of us have lost jobs. A lot of us has, have lost people. And we might grieve at the time, but do we really grieve it to the extent that we need to? Do we really pour out our soul in a way that helps us? You know, I think that it's, it's something that you almost have to catch, catch the moment. And I think it's especially true for men because we don't do it very well at all. Uh, not being in touch as much with our emotional side. But every once in a while, something will happen. Something will grab your heart, and you feel like welling up with tears. I think we need to encourage that and allow that to happen. And, uh, you know, I think we'll feel freer and lighter if we do. And loving the one we're with, boy, that's, that's probably the most challenging of all at times. I mean, it's easy to love everybody. You get together once a week or maybe you get together, you know, once a year with, you know, certain friends or family members. Uh, but the people that you live with every day, the people that know all of your faults and all of your failures and see them, if you can love them every day and love yourself because you're with yourself all of the time and you're with God. So I think that's something that was worth reviewing for me. And um, the last thing that I want to say before I want to show a little clip to define Satan's strategy, what I think one of his main strategies is, um, is this truth that God revealed to me on July 4th. Those of you who were here when I preached about it would probably remember. 
on July 4th, I had one of those headaches. We were driving to um, go out to eat. Um, didn't really feel like it, but I wanted to uh, go with my wife because she wanted to go. And as I was going, I saw the sunset in the back, and it was just beautiful. And I just had this sparkling, clear vision of the truth that God really, really loves me. And I allowed it to sink in. He gave me the grace to allow it to sink in. It was nothing of mine, really, other than recognizing it. But he, it's like he opened up the sky and he showed me, hey, I got you. I love you. It's okay. You're going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. And for that one brief moment, I just let it in. Oh, that I could live in that awareness. If I could live in that awareness, this life and all of its heartaches, it would be a lot more tolerable. It would be a lot more abundant. There would be a lot more joy and peace. But it's hard, right? I mean, it's maybe easy when we first come to Christ and maybe easy when you first get married and your kids are small and there's a lot going on, new house, new career, new car, you know. But after a while, the same dishes get dirty and the same laundry gets dirty and the same bills keep coming in, you know, and it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Day after day after day, sometimes I feel like I'm in one of those gerbil wheels, you know, going nowhere fast, but spending a lot of energy. So here's what I think is um, Satan's main plan. That sparkling clear moment, And I think we've all had it at one time or another. When we really know that God loves us, Satan doesn't want us to believe that that's really true. That, I believe, is the truth that could set us free. I'd like to show just a minute clip from the film Inception to kind of dramatize this. We have heard of the Birth to Three program. Um, I'm not completely sure what it is. Does anybody know exactly what it is? Yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and, and the reason that people, we as a society, put money into that birth to three program is because we recognize that those are the most impressionable years. And it would be better if we put the money there than from three to 20, where we do the recovery work for the damage that was done between zero and three. Well, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? And so, and, and the sins of the fathers are visited upon a third and fourth generation. So we get this idea, many ideas inside of us. A, God is not to be trusted, <laughs> right? Why would I trust him? He's, he's given me three promises over three years and hasn't fulfilled any one of them. I mean, there's an asterisk to that. But in a sense, in the way that I thought and hoped and prayed that he would fulfill those promises, he hasn't. I still have the headaches. I still have the heavy burdens. And I still have the anxious thoughts. I hope and pray and trust that God will do 
and complete what he has said. I do. But this is a period of testing. I gave a whole sermon about Job and how he was tested, how our faith is tested. Do we trust him? Is he trustworthy? Do we really believe that he loves us? Do we believe that he loves us enough to mold us as the potter molds the clay? Will will we put ourselves in his hands? Will we surrender to him? Will, Will we let him chisel away at us so as to become the masterpiece that he's created us to be? Um, Michelangelo, he said, every block of stone has a statue inside it, and it is the task of the sculptor to discover it. And at another time he said, I saw an angel in the marble and carved it until I set him free. That's what God wants to do with us, but we need to let him. And... I'd like to show you a a video clip of that. And maybe as you listen to this and watch this, you can prepare your hearts for communion because I think that's what God wants us to do today is to surrender to him. Um, When I was raised in the Catholic Church, you know, we believed that when we received uh, the elements that we were actually receiving the body and blood of Jesus Christ. And... We know as Christians that he lives within us, right? I mean, this is something that we do to remember him by, but we carry him within us all the time. We can close our eyes and speak to him intimately anytime. Um, As I read these words... um, Well, I tell you what, why don't we do it this way? Why doesn't everybody come up and uh, take it, and then I'll read this, and we'll take it together. Consider what we're doing. We're remembering Jesus, who surrendered everything that he had. He surrendered his very life. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread and broke it as a symbol of his body being broken. And he gave it to his disciples, and he said, take this and eat of this, and remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant between God and you, sealed by the shedding of my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. You know, I've prayed over my food almost every time we pray, even in restaurants. But I can't remember one time when I've toasted a glass of wine with someone and said, here's to Jesus. So here's to Jesus and what he did for us.